happy Labor Day weekend, and uh, we are so, so glad that each and every one of you were able to be here this morning. Thanks for joining us as we are uh, finishing a series today that we've been in pretty much for the bulk of the entire summer uh, that we have been calling Grow. And, uh, and kind of like DJ said, if you're a guest with us this morning, hey, thanks so much for being here, and uh, we are just so, so glad you're able to join us. Um, and uh, just to kind of summarize for you in a nutshell what we've been talking about in this series, uh, this series has really been all about spiritual growth growth. You could probably tell from the title. We've been talking about this idea, kind of a vague concept of spiritual growth. And our hope has been to really add some clarity and some practicality to this subject. And so we're kind of talking about, man, what does it mean to grow spiritually? And, and how do you do that? How do you grow spiritually? And so our hope is really, like I said, to add some clarity and some practicality uh, to this sometimes kind of a vague uh, topic matter. Uh, the way we've been going through this series is we've actually been journeying through the New Testament book of Colossians, a very, very small book of the New Testament, but very powerful. And the reason we've been looking at Colossians is uh, because the book of Colossians is all about spiritual growth. It's all about the importance of and instructions and how to grow spiritually. And so we've been kind of journeying through that book together. And like I said, if you are a guest with us this morning, we are finishing this series today. We've been in for uh, the past 10 weeks. And so you are kind of catching us at the end of a conversation. So I just uh, want to let you know that. But the good news is this. The good news is that if anything we say today is intriguing or interesting to you, you can go back and you can listen to all of the previous uh, messages in the series on our website or on our podcast. All of that is for free and is for you. And we'd encourage that maybe you uh, go back and check some of those things out if you get a chance to. In addition to that, I also want to mention, DJ uh, talked briefly about the fact that we're starting a new series next week. It's called Gaining by Losing. Really would invite you to come back for that series um, next week. You may have heard some rumors, if you've been around the Medina East Campus for a little bit, uh, that we are looking to start Saturday evening services in October. Uh, that is, in fact, true. And so we're going to be doing that here in October, and, uh, and so this next series is really a way for us to really talk about why are we doing that, um, what's behind that, and how do we as a church kind of work um, towards that together. So that's going to be next week. We'd really encourage you to come back as we kind of process through um, some of that conversation together. Today, as we wrap up this series, kind of, kind of add some finality to this long series we've been in on spiritual growth, uh, I just want to invite you one last time to grab your Bibles for some concluding thoughts in the series in the book of Colossians chapter 1. So grab your Bibles once more, and for the last time in this series, let's take them and go to Colossians chapter 1. So go ahead and get there in, uh, in your Bibles if you would. If you didn't bring a Bible uh, with you this morning, not a problem. We should have some out there for you. So you can grab one of those black Bibles that looks like this in the chairs in front of you. Turn to page 821 in those Bibles, and that's where you're going to find Colossians chapter 1, okay, page 821. And uh, like we always say, if you don't own a Bible and you would like a Bible, you can have one of ours. Just take one. Uh, make that a gift from us to you. We think it is so important that you have a Bible, and I would encourage you to read it, and so you can um, take that as a gift from us to you. So as you get into Colossians chapter 1, go ahead and flip there. Um, I'll, I'll start off by telling you a quick story about a conversation I had with one of my sons this, uh, a couple weeks ago. So um, I, if you guys know me, you know I have three kids. My wife and I have three little kids. So we have a seven-year-old. Uh, he actually just turned seven this past week. We have a five-year-old, and then we have a little princess, our seven-month-old Gracie, and, uh, and so we got the three kiddos. And a couple weeks ago, I was hanging out with my kids, and it was just me and, and the three of them. Uh, Jess was doing something else, and so I was kind of hanging out with them. And I was talking to my oldest son about his birthday. So his birthday was this just past week, and so a couple weeks ago, we were talking about it. And I was asking, I was like, hey, buddy, you know, you're excited about your birthday, and 
And, and of course, he was real excited about turning seven, and we were talking about that. And I was asking him, you know, what do you want to get this year? What, do you, what are you kind of hoping is going to happen this birthday? And so he was telling me about stuff, and he was real excited. And as, as we were talking, I noticed that my younger son, my five-year-old son, was really quiet. He was being really quiet during this conversation, which is incredibly uncharacteristic of him. He's always talking. And so I thought, something's going on with him. And so I'm talking to my oldest son about his birthday and then my youngest son. And finally, my youngest son goes, um, he goes, hey, Dad. And I go, yeah? And he goes, um, so I'm, I'm feeling something in my heart right now. <laughs> I was like, it's a pretty abnormal thing for a five-year-old to say. So I try not to, like you, I try not to chuckle because, you know, you don't want to stifle that kind of thing. So I was like, it's like, okay, but I said, you're feeling something in your heart. I said, well, tell me, buddy, what are, you, what are you feeling in your heart? And he goes, I'm feeling something kind of sad in my heart. And I was like, ah, oh. I said, I'm sorry to hear that, buddy. I'm sorry to hear you feeling something sad in your heart. I was like, well, can you tell me what it is? What is it that you're feeling sad about? And he goes, I'm feeling like I don't want to get any older. He said, I kind of feel like I just want to be five years old forever. I don't want to have any more birthdays. I just kind of want to stay five years old. And I, I kind of thought to myself, I thought, that's a really, that's like a very profound ecclesiastics, you know, ecclesiastes kind of thought for a little five-year-old to have. And so I, I, I started talking to him. I said, well, I said, well, buddy, I understand that. I said, you know, being five years old is pretty awesome. And he's like, I know. And I was like, I know. I was like, but I said, and I, and I know you don't want to get older. And I, I was trying to appeal to his five-year-old logic. So I said, but buddy, I said, you know, growing up ain't all that bad. I said, there is some really cool stuff that happens when you get older. And he's like, well, like what? And I said, well, I said, well, when, when you get older, I said, you, you can get uh, stronger and you'll get faster. And he goes, I don't want to be any stronger. I don't want to be faster. He said, I like being five years old. I like catching frogs. He's like, I don't want to, I, I see how much homework my brother has. I don't want that. And he's like, I just, I like being five. And then I thought about it. I thought, well, I said, well, buddy, when you get older, I said, then, then you'll have more responsibility and you'll have more freedom. I said, so for example, like when you turn 16, you'll have an opportunity to get your own car and you can drive yourself, you get a driver's license and, and then you'll have a lot of freedom. And he goes, he goes, oh, I don't want to drive myself. I like it when you drive me. <laughs> and I was like, well, you're not always going to feel that way. I was like, but I understand. And then I was trying to appeal to him a little bit because I know that he really likes animals, especially like reptiles and amphibians and things like that. And so I said, I said, well, buddy, I said, one day when you get older, like when you turn 18, you can move out of our house, you can get your own house, and then you can have as many pets as you want. You can have alligators and all kinds of stuff. If you want them, you can have that. Wouldn't that be awesome? And he goes, he goes but dad, I don't want to move out. I like it here. Can I just live with you and mom forever? And I was like, well, that ain't going to happen. And, uh, and so we just kind of went down the line, and he just basically was like, I don't want to get any older. I want to be five years old forever. And here he was feeling sad in his heart because he didn't want to progress. I thought, what is this? Is this like an early life crisis? You know, like, I've reached the pinnacle, you know, five years old, it's all downhill from here. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. And we were kind of laughing about that. Um, but the reason I tell you that is because in this series, uh, we have been talking all about spiritual growth. And we have been talking about how, according to the book of Colossians and according to the rest of the Bible, that our heavenly Father, that God, wants us to grow spiritually. Now, God desires for us not to stay where we are, spiritually speaking, but he wants us to progress. He wants us to move forward, and he wants us to grow into Christ-likeness, into acting like, thinking like, and being more motivated like the person of Jesus Christ. And what we've been saying in this series is that, that for some of us, 
we might take on the mentality of my five-year-old son where we say, I don't, really, I don't really see a need to grow spiritually. I don't really want to grow spiritually. I kind of like where I am spiritually. What we've been saying in this series is the reason we want to take so much time to focus on spiritual growth is because God wants us to grow spiritually. Our heavenly Father desires not that we become arrested in our development, not that we become stuck at five years old spiritually, uh, but that we progress and we move forward into the things that God wants for us. So that's what this series has been all about. We've been saying, man, how can we help every person who's part of this church take a step towards spiritual growth? That's what we've been looking at. So today what I want to do, as we, like I said, as we're adding some finality and we're finishing this series, is I actually just want to kind of overview everything we've talked about. It's been a long series. We've dealt with a lot of big topics. And so here's, I'm hoping that two things happen as a result of today's conversation. Here's the first thing. The first thing I hope that happens is that every single person in this room can walk away having a clear picture of where you are spiritually, all right? My hope is that today, as a result of this conversation, that you would be able to identify, where am I spiritually? Where am I? And the second thing I would hope that would happen is this, is that every single person in this room could walk out with extremely practical next steps, things you can do tomorrow, as practical as I know how to get. And what are some things that you can do to partner in your spiritual growth, things that you can put in place tomorrow uh, that would help you kind of grow into the maturity that God has for you, okay? So I'm hoping that those two things would take place as a result of that. Um, let me show you once again the graphic that we've been looking at through this series. Um, so this is a graphic that we've been looking at. If you've been here for this series, we have looked at this almost every week. You probably are tired of seeing this. You've seen it at nauseum um, by this point because we've looked at it. But again, the reason we keep showing this is because we are trying to drill the importance of spiritual growth, that God wants us to grow spiritually, and that we as Grace Church want to partner with you in your spiritual growth as well. But basically, if you are newer to this graphic, we actually created this graphic a few years ago. Uh, this graphic was intended uh, to help us kind of depict what the Bible teaches about spiritual maturity. And so in the Bible, uh, one of the most common metaphors that's used to describe spiritual growth is that of human uh, development, of natural human development. So as a baby grows into a child, grows into a teenager, grows into an adult, well, the Bible uses that same terminology to talk about spiritual growth and spiritual development. And so we've been using this to kind of help us uh, with that. So the question that I want to try to uh, add clarity to today is where are you in this spiritual growth pathway? And where do you land in that? And so my hope is to add some clarity to that. And so let's just start all the way on the far left-hand side and kind of work our way through and explain a little bit about how do you identify where you are and then what are the next steps for you spiritually? All right, so if you start all the way to the left-hand side of this graphic, you have this shady gray character, kind of this dotted line character. Biblically speaking, what that rep represents is a person that the Bible would call distant from God. Okay, this is a person who is, the Bible would use this terminology, say that this is someone who is distant from God. The way we would explain that is this, that this person is distant from God. This distance may be caused by questions, animosity, confusion, or lack of information about the gospel. There could be a lot of different reasons why this person is in this position, but essentially the main characteristic, we like to say it this way, is that this person is investigating Christianity. Uh, they would not identify themselves as a Christian. If you ask them, are you a Christian? They would say, I'm not sure, or I don't know, or no, or I don't think so. Now, I think it's important that we understand that biblically speaking, every single person begins their spiritual growth process here. 
okay? So I think that's important to clarify because uh, you got to understand Christianity is not something that you inherit. And so you might say, I'm a Christian. Why are you a Christian? Well, my parents were Christians. My grandparents were Christians. Therefore, I'm a Christian. That's not how it works. Uh, The Bible says that all of us start in this category of being distant from God. Let me just show you what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Colossians, what we discovered. Uh, The the Apostle Paul is talking to the Colossian church, a very uh, new group of Christians, and here's what he tells them in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. He says, once you were alienated from God, right? You were distant from God, and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that all of us start in this category, that we are distant from God, uh, that we are enemies of God in our minds and our hearts because of our evil behavior, because of our sin. I know that's not a super popular teaching in a culture like ours, but the Bible in no uncertain terms tells us that that is the condition that all of us begin in. Uh, We are distant from God. We are separated from God. And a person that's in this phase would say, I'm investigating Jesus. I'm not really sure what I believe. Now, how do you know if you're in this phase? Because I know that for some of you in this room right now, that this is the phase that you're in right now. And so how would you identify that? Well, let me, let me try to help identify that by giving you something I'm calling phrases from the stage. So I'll give you some phrases that kind of come out of the stage, things that a person in this stage might say. Now, uh, before I move forward with this too, I think it's important that I give credit where credit is due. Some of what we're going to be talking about today has been slightly adapted from a book that's been called Disciple Shift, Disciple Shift by a guy named Jim Putnam. Excellent little book. I would encourage you if you want to dig deeper into some of the things we're talking about to check that out. Um, but let me give you some phrases from this stage. Okay, so a person who is uh, distant from God or is investigating Jesus might say things like this. They might say, I'm not sure that I believe that there's a God. So they might start there. I'm not really sure I necessarily believe that there's a God. Uh, One of the characteristics of this stage is an inconclusiveness about the things of God. A person that's in this phase, if you're in this phase, it's not even that you're necessarily against God. Um, Sometimes you might be, but sometimes you just might be, you're open, I, I haven't drawn any conclusions yet. I haven't come to any convictions yet. The verdict is still out as it relates to the whole God conversation for me. Uh, that's probably a good indication if, if, you're, if you are a person that is in this phase, if you're saying things like, I don't know if I believe in God, the verdict is still out, I'm not necessarily close to it, but I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to kind of figure out what, I'm, what my convictions are, what my beliefs are, I would say that's probably a good indication you're in this stage. Here, here's another statement, a uh, phrase from this stage. A person in this stage might say this, they might say, isn't the Bible a bunch of old myths? Um, So not only is there an inconclusiveness about God, but there also is some apprehension and maybe even some skepticism about the the Bible. And so a person in this phase might say, yeah, I'm not sure what I think about this. Isn't the Bible kind of like an old, kind of outdated, archaic, regressive book that was, yeah, it was for other people who lived at a different time, but we're like modern people now, and so we don't always accept everything that the Bible, like isn't that about the Bible That's probably a phrase that might come out of this stage. Here's another one, the third thing. A person in this uh, phase might say, I don't know if I buy this whole heaven and hell business. So a person in this stage might say, you know, I I, I agree with the morality that the Bible teaches. I actually think that the Judeo-Christian ethic is a good thing. It's actually a great place to to found a nation off of. Uh, But all of this teaching about like heaven and hell and angels and demons eternal life, and I don't know if I can buy all that. It seems a little far-fetched for me, right? And so, look, if you're a Christian, if you want to be a Christian, that is absolutely cool, but don't get too crazy with it, okay? Don't become some strange, weird, Jesus crazy person, all right? 
and, and that might be, if, that, if you resonate with that, that might be an indication that this is the, the phase that you're in. Uh, here's another phase from this phrase from the stage. A person in this phase, they might say this. They might say, I've been a good person, so when I die, everything's going to be okay. I'll take my chances with the big man upstairs. Okay, so again, a person in this phase, they might say, um, you know, I don't know if there's a God, the verdict is out, but if there is a God, if I die, I think I'm going to be okay. Because if there is a God, you know, I think that, that he's going to understand I'm not a perfect person, but comparatively speaking, I'm not a bad person. You know, I, I, when, I, when I compare myself to other people, I'm a pretty stand-up person. You know, I'm a good dad, I'm a good mom, I'm a good student, I'm a good citizen, I'm a good whatever. I haven't done any of the big major sins, right? Like, I've never killed anybody, I've never burned anyone's house down, or, you know, I don't, I don't root for the Steelers, you know, none of the big sins. And so I'm, I'm for the most part, I'm a pretty stand-up guy. And so I think that if I die, even though I'm not sure if I believe that there is a God, that God will have mercy on me because he knows I'm not that, he knows my heart, right? And I think if you resonate with that, that it's an indication you might be in this stage. Here's the last one. A person in this phase might say this, um, there is no absolute right or wrong. If something's right for you, then it might not necessarily be right for me. And so a person in this phase oftentimes has a, uh, a relativistic view on things like morality, on things like spirituality. And so, yeah, Jesus might be cool with you. That's absolutely fine. But that does not necessarily mean that Jesus is, is good with me or that Jesus is right for everybody else. And, uh, and so there's this basic belief that kind of comes with this. Now, if you're a person that would resonate with some of those statements that we just threw up here, some of those phrases from this stage, I think that might be an indication that you are in this stage. You're a person who's investigating Jesus. You are a person who the Bible would call far from God. You're distant from God in this phase. Now, again, the reason I'm saying that is because um, all of those statements, for the most part, all five of those statements we looked at for the most part, are in stark contradiction to the things that Jesus taught and to the things that the Bible teaches. And so because of that, you're, I would say you're in an investigation stage. You're trying to figure out. And like I said, there might be many of you today who would say, yeah, that, that kind of characterizes where I am. That really vocalizes a lot of where uh, I kind of stand right now. So the question is this then. Okay, if you're a person that's investigating Jesus in this room, where, where is your key point of focus? What is the point of growth for you? Okay, and, and as it relates to the Bible, if you're investigating Christ, you're like, I'm open to the whole God thing, but what's my next step? How do I actually add some conclusiveness to my investigation? And I would say this. I would say, well, I, I, the Bible would actually say this. The Bible would say that your next point of focus, your point of growth, is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, that is the point of focus. That is the point of growth. And here's what I mean by that. In, in the book of Colossians, uh, the Bible tells us that, that the beginning point, the starting point, of faith comes when, when a person comes to a recognition and a belief and a conviction of what's called the gospel, we've talked about this in weeks past, of Jesus Christ. In other words, is Jesus Christ who he said he is, and did he really come to do what he said he came to do? Well, let me just show you in Colossians what the Apostle Paul says to the Colossian church, this early church. He said this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, he said, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, Colossians, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all people. Now, the faith and the love that spring from the hope that's stored up for you in heaven about what you have already heard and the true message of the gospel that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit 
and it's growing through the whole world just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard about it and you've truly understood God's grace. So you see what Paul's saying. He says to the Colossians, your faith began when you embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your faith began when you truly understood God's grace through Christ. And that is the gospel. And I would say, if you're a person who's investigating Jesus, you might be asking, where should I spend my time? Where should I spend my energy? Where should I go as it, as it relates to investigating Christianity? And I would say, focus on this. Is Jesus Christ who he said he is? And did he come to do what he claimed he came to do? Because look, the, the truth is, and I understand this, if you're a person investigating Jesus, it is really easy to get caught up in a bunch of secondary items as it relates to Christianity. So for example, if you're a person that's investigating Jesus, it is so easy to say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Aren't Christians people who believe in like a six-day literal creation that like God created the universe and everything in like six literal days? And you might be saying, but you see, I'm an evolutionist. I believe in evolution. And so does that mean that I can't be a Christian? Does that mean that, I, that because I don't believe this, then I can't embrace Christianity? Or you might say something like this. You might say, well, Christianity, Christians, aren't they like homophobes? Aren't, don't Christians have like this very narrow kind of regressive view on sexuality? And I don't necessarily know if I can embrace that. And so that must mean that I can't be a Christian, right? Or you might say something like this. You might say, Christians, don't they believe in a bunch of wacky stuff? Like, you know, like Jesus's face can appear on like a grilled cheese sandwich or something weird like that. Like, isn't that what, and I don't necessarily believe, I don't necessarily know if I can believe that. So does that mean that I can't be a Christian? Now listen, let me just help you with this. If you're investigating Christ, all of those items I just mentioned to you, I'm not negating that those are important topics because those are important topics. At least most of them are important topics, right? But they are secondary. They are secondary. The primary focus is this. Is Jesus who he said he was or isn't he? Because if Jesus Christ is not who he said he claimed to be, and if he did not come to do what he claimed he came to do, then who cares about all these other issues? These don't matter if Jesus isn't truly who he said he is. You guys know in the book of Colossians, the apostle Paul says to the Colossians in chapter one, verses 15 to 20, he says, Jesus Christ was before all things. All things are in him, for him, by him, and through him. And it says all of these amazingly big things. Now listen, either that's true or that's not and so the point of focus for you, if you're a person investigating Jesus, is start here. Start with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is the gospel true? Is Jesus who he said he is? Spend all of your time and all of your energy investing, investigating that. That's your starting point. So practically speaking, what can you do? Here's something you can do, a little challenge I'll give you. You can do this tomorrow. So practical, you can actually do this tomorrow. You can do it today if you want to. I would challenge you to do a full-on investigation of who Jesus said he was. And the way I would challenge you to do that is to go through the Gospel of John one chapter at a time. Read a chapter of the Gospel of John every day. The Gospel of John is the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, the reason I would say to read John is because it contains within it the most self-proclamations that Jesus Christ made. And so, so, so many statements where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am, there's a series of I am statements uh, that are in the gospel of John. So I would encourage you, read the gospel of John every day, a chapter every day. And I would even encourage you this way. If you came with someone today, if you're investigating Jesus and you came with someone, a coworker or a friend, or if your parents drug you to church or whatever, or if you drug your parents to church, whatever it might be, I would encourage you to maybe ask the person you came with, would you be willing to, to investigate John with me? 
We could read it. We could read it a chapter a day, every day. We could talk about what we're reading. Like that'd be an awesome next step as it relates to these things. Uh, before we move on to the next next part, I think it's important that I say this too. If you're a person that's investigating Jesus today, I just want you to know, and, and we do say this often, but I think it's important to reiterate that we count it an absolute honor that you would allow us to be part of your investigation. And I don't want to belittle that because I know that you could take your investigation anywhere. Uh, there's a million things you could be doing on Sunday morning, but the fact that you decided to come here and to investigate spirituality with us and allow us to speak into that investigation, we don't take that lightly, not for a moment. And I want you to know that we do the very best that we can to try to present with clarity and with accuracy who Jesus Christ is according to what he said, not what does the culture say about Jesus, not even what does tradition say about Jesus. What did Jesus say about Jesus? And, and we want to present that as clearly as we possibly can, okay? So if you're a person in this phase, some next steps for you might be investigate the gospel of Jesus Christ. It'd be a great starting place for you to begin. The Bible says after a person embraces Jesus, when they come to a place of faith, they surrender their life to Christ, there's a transformation that takes place. And that person, the Bible says, is born again. That's actually the phrase that the, the Bible uses to, to talk about this spiritual transformation. And when a person is born again, uh, they then become a uh, spiritual infant into this phase of spiritual infancy. A uh, spiritual infancy, uh, we would say uh, basically the, the, the description would be this. In this season, God is viewed primarily as Savior. So whenever someone comes to know Christ, they usually tend, tend to come to know him first as their Savior. They embrace him as their Savior. And this person is now receptive to the things of God. So there's a receptivity that happens in this person's heart. Whereas maybe before, they were closed off to the things of God or they were skeptical of the things of God. Now they're not. Uh, now they're open to the things of God, where at one point, maybe they were closed off to reading the Bible, they were closed off to going to church, now they're not. Uh, now they're interested in the things of God, they're receptive to the things of God in a very unique way. The Bible would say this is spiritual infancy. So how do you know you're in this, this phase? How do you know that, you're, that you're, you're in this stage of spiritual infancy? Well, let me give you again just some phrases from this stage to help you identify if this is maybe where you are spiritually. All right, so number one, phrase from the stage a person might say this in infancy. They might say, I should be connected to a church. Uh, I've never heard that before. How would I do that, right? So as it is with, uh, with infants, infants are marked by excitement, by newness, and by development. And the same thing is true spiritually. If you're a spiritual infant, that's not a condescending phrase or anything like that. It's simply saying that there's newness to your spirituality. You're new. You're, there's a lot of development. And so, and so you might say something like this. You might say, man, I've, I, I should be part of a church. I don't think I've ever really heard that before. That's new to me. I always thought that I could just go out in the woods with my Bible and some water, and I could just pray and experience God among nature, and that would kind of be the way. I didn't know I needed other people to grow. So that's a new thing to me, right? A person in this phase might say something like this. They might say, man, I really need someone to help me understand the Bible. Whenever I read it, I find that I'm confused, I'm frustrated, because I don't always understand what I'm reading. So a person in this, this phase might say, man, I know I should be reading the Bible, but every time I read it, I'm confused. I can't pronounce things. There's people I don't know. There's stuff like those type of things. And listen, uh, that's understandable because infancy, it's not that you're uneducated. That's not what it is. It's just that you're, it's that you're uninformed. All of this is new. So, so you're new to the Bible. I don't really know what's going on when I read the Bible. That's a good sign that maybe you're, a spiritual, you're in the stage of spiritual infancy. Here's another phrase that might come from this stage. A person might say, I don't really have any deep relationships with other Christians. 
And so I, I've, I've just come to know Christ or, you know, I just started kind of getting connected to the church again. And, and I come here, but I, I don't really know anybody. And so I sort of slip in and I slip out and I don't, I don't really have any deep, meaningful friendships or relationships with other Christians. Most of, my Christian, most of my friends aren't Christians. And so I don't have anyone that I can process my, my doubts with. I don't have anyone that I can confess my sins with, that I can share my struggles with, that I can share my spiritual successes with. I'm not, I'm not interrelated into deep relationships spiritually right now, all right? Here's another phrase that might come from this stage. A person might say something like this. They might say, well, I know Jesus is God, but like, what about karma? Is that real too? Is that like a thing? And, and so again, not only is there a newness to the Bible and a newness to the Christian life, but there's also a newness to theology. And so oftentimes spiritual children, um, they're open to spiritual things. And so they'll say things like, well, I know Jesus is God and I, I believe that Jesus is, is my savior, but what about like astrology? Is there any merit in that? Or what about the whole yin-yang thing? Is that like a thing that we do too? And, and is that cool or what? You know? and so there's, there's some ambiguity as it relates to uh, spirituality and the things that Jesus said. Here's another thing, that, uh, the last thing I'll give you in this uh, phrase from the stage. A person might say this. They might say, man, I started following Jesus and my spouse and I just got into a big fight on the way to church today, which that might actually be some of you this morning. You're like nudging your spouse. Um, you might be like, what's up with that? I thought that this Jesus thing was supposed to take care of all my problems, right? And so there can be the, this, this assumption that, man, because I started following Jesus, that means that my life's going to get easier, my life's going to get better, my life's going to get more comfortable. And so what happens is you start to become confused when, for, for some of you, your life didn't get easier, it got harder. You started following Jesus, and all of a sudden, things got a little bit more complicated, a little more difficult. And so there can be some confusion in there. Let me just say, if you're a person that would identify with these statements, if you're like, that, that actually that resonates with me, I would say that might be an indication that you are in the stage of spiritual, uh, a spiritual infancy, kind of in this place right now. Now, again, as we've been saying, God loves you as you are. God accepts you where you are, but God loves you way too much to leave you where you are. And he wants all of us to grow up into spiritual maturity. So the question for you would be, if you're a spiritual infant, is what is the, the, the point of growth for you? Uh, where, where do you really need to focus your attention and energy to help you grow spiritually? The book of Colossians would tell us there's actually two places that you want to focus your energy on in this stage, and that would be the Bible, more regular time in the Bible, and biblical community, a deeper connectedness to the life of the church, to, to other, developing other relationships with other people who love and follow Jesus. Okay, so those two things. Uh, let me just show you what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians uh, to the Colossians. Here's what he says to them uh, in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. He says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, which, by the way, that comes through the Bible. We've talked about this in this series. Through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. And then later, in Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 24, the Apostle Paul says, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. I fill up what's in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. So what does the Apostle Paul tell the Colossians? He says, listen, you guys are new Christians. He says, you're baby Christians. I'm so excited for you. And he says, so now I am laboring and I am struggling for two things. What? For the church. And I'm, I'm laboring to help you understand the word of God. It's these two things, biblical community 
and then regular investment in the Bible. So if you're a person who is a spiritual infant, um, what would be some practical challenges I would give you? Okay, here's some real practical challenges. The first one would be find regular time uh, to be in the Bible every day. I know that, I know that sounds so basic. I cannot, I cannot stress to you the importance of this enough. A regular time in the Bible every single day. Um, a, a great next step for you might be this, to, to get a reading plan, a Bible reading plan. Uh, we have some of those available, I believe, at our Welcome Center. You can also download YouVersion, Y-O-U-Version. It's a Bible app. There are literally hundreds of reading plans that you can access there and read. But I would just say start reading. Start reading 15 minutes every day of the Bible. And look, I understand that for some of you that might be challenging because when you read the Bible, you don't understand what you're reading. You're like, I don't get it. I don't understand what's going on. But let me just encourage you, just keep reading. Don't give up. Just keep reading. I can't stress this enough. I actually remember, um, I remember the first Bible I ever owned. I remember it pretty vividly because my brother gave it. I was actually 15 years old uh, when I had my first Bible. It was given to me by my brothers, actually before I came to know Jesus. And my brother went to the mall. Uh, he came home, and I guess someone was passing out those little pocket Bibles. You know what I'm talking about? Little pocket New Testaments with the Psalms and Proverbs in them. And so someone was passing those out at the mall, and they gave one to my brother. My brother came home, and he gave it to me. And he said, here, you want this? He said, I have no need for this. Do you want this? And I said, sure, I'll take it. And honestly, I only took it because I thought it looked cool. So I was like, yeah, that looks cool. I'll take that. And I put it in my pocket, and wouldn't you know, I started to read the thing. I started reading it on the bus, and I started reading it in study hall, and I read it every day. I remember, I remember vividly where I was sitting in study hall, reading through the Gospels every single day. And you know, you know what it looked like for me when I was reading that little Bible? Well, first off, it was like this big, so it looked like this. But this is what it looked like for me. I remember being like, don't understand that, don't understand that, don't understand that. That's cool, and I would highlight it. And then I'd keep reading. I don't understand that, can't, can't pronounce that, have no idea what that's talking about. I don't know why they're talking about circumcision so much here. And then I, you know, and I just, it was so confusing to me. But I'd be like, but that's cool. And then I would highlight something. And it was like, it, I, I just remember being confused and frustrated. But at the same time, I knew that something powerful was happening. I, I can't explain it. But I knew that I was interacting with something that was much different than just another book. And over time, you start to learn. Things start to, you start to make connections. And it's not because you're unintelligent. It's just because you're uninformed. And so I would encourage you, man, just keep reading. Don't give up. Just keep reading it. Listen, reading your Bible, we talk about this all the time, is the single most catalytic uh, tool uh, that God has given you for your growth. You show me someone who's growing spiritually, I will show you someone who has a regular diet of God's word. And just, just read the book. Maybe for you, I would encourage you, grab someone else. Grab a friend. Grab someone who maybe is a couple stages ahead of you in your spiritual growth. Ask them. Would you be willing to go through a reading plan with me? Let's get together every week. Let's talk about what we read. Help me understand what I'm reading. That'd be a great practical next step for you if you're in this phase. The other thing I would encourage you to do is to, is to get connected into biblical community. Right? If you do not have spiritual friendships, if you don't have anyone that you can talk to about your spiritual successes or your spiritual struggles, if you can't bear burdens with another person and you can't bear the burden of another person if you, don't, if you don't have other people you can interact with about the things of God in a deep way, listen, that is a massively important thing. And the presentation of biblical community that we here at the Medina East Campus offer is through life groups. And so I would challenge you, man, a first step, a very practical step for you this week is to go check out a life group. 
We have some cards out in the cafe. You can check those out. You can try a few out. I know that not every life group is for everyone, so go try a few out and get connected. And listen, I know for some of you that that sounds like the most intimidating, challenging step ever because you're like, oh my gosh, the thought of going to someone else's house that I don't know and I'm an introverted person and I don't know these people. And What do you even do at life group? Do you, do you sacrifice small animals? Is that what is so, so weird to me? And, and I know for, for some of you, this just seems like such a massive monumental step. But listen, I just, I just have to tell you, I have to tell you that if you don't have biblical community in your life, you are forfeiting one of the greatest means by which God wants you to grow. The book of Ephesians chapter four tells us that we grow together. Christianity is not intended to be a Lone Ranger sport. It is not. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. We grow together. And the Bible makes that very, very, very clear. And so if you forfeit biblical community, you forfeit one of great, God's greatest means for your growth. I, I, I've talked to, I just talked to a woman in between services today. Uh, we were talking about the sermon. And she verified to me. She said, you know, I got connected to a life group. She said, it was a game changer. It was a game changer for me. I hear that time and time again. People saying I was growing in my faith and then I got stagnated and then I got connected to biblical community and it was like blew my spiritual life up. It was awesome. And I want that for you and God wants that for you and that would be a great next step for you to take. Okay, so uh, the Bible says we start distant from God. We grow into spiritual infancy as we continue to progress and grow in our knowledge of the Bible and we grow in our connectedness to biblical community, the Bible would say that we move into what is called spiritual childhood, spiritual childhood. Now, spiritual childhood would be uh, described this way. In this season, Jesus is viewed not only as Savior, Jesus is always our Savior, but he is also now viewed primarily as teacher, and this person views themselves as Jesus' student, okay? So if you think about a child, uh, children tend to be marked by a few things, right? Uh, ch children are characterized by excitement and enthusiasm. Uh, they are marked by a, a, a deep desire to learn. I think about my kids, they're like sponges. They absorb everything. They're constantly learning new things. It's all very new and exciting. And the other thing is they're characterized by a self-centeredness. And we talked about this a little bit last week. That's not intended to be a criticism at all. It's just true, right? Uh, I said last week that one of the staple features of childishness is selfishness. My kids are some of the most selfish people that I know. And, and that's because they're children, right? And I would expect that to be true of them. It's the same thing spiritually. So here would be some phrases from this stage. How do you know if you're a spiritual child? Well, let me give you a few, uh, a few different uh, uh, statements that might help you uh, identify with this. Here's one. A person in this stage might say, man, I learned so much from the sermons and from life group at my church every week. Every week I learned something new, right? So there's just an excitement. There's an enthusiasm. There's a, man, everything is new. And, and I didn't know that was in the Bible. And wow, that's really cool. Wow, I got to make some changes in my life. That's so cool. And there's just this an excitement and enthusiasm. There's a newness to things. But like I said, along with that, there's also a self-centeredness. And, uh, and so maybe a few of these statements. A person in this phase might say this. The most important quality in the church is that I get fed by the sermon and that the worship style suits my preferences. Okay, so again, what you hear there is a self-centeredness, right? Most important thing to me at church is that the sermon, I get, gotta get fed during the sermon. Uh, the, the preacher better be engaging and, and funny. And then the, the worship has gotta be my style. And I, I like, gotta play the songs I like and, and do those things. Now, hear me, it's not wrong to, to be selfish necessarily, but if that is the mark of your Christianity, it might be a good indication that you're in this phase. By the way, I think it's worth mentioning that you don't have to be a new Christian to be a spiritual child. Um, I know plenty of people who have been following Christ for decades 
and they are still here and uh, stuck in this phase of spiritual childishness. Here's another phase that might come from this stage. A phrase might be this. They might say, who are all these new people coming to my church? Church is getting too big. It's getting too hard to find a parking spot anymore, right? And, uh, and again, you hear it, right? It's like, uh, it's that, it's that, it's a little bit of a self-absorption, and that comes with childishness. But man, my church is getting big. And, and what are all these people? That guy's in my seat. What the heck is that guy doing in my seat, you know? And, and there's just uh, that kind of, uh, there could be kind of um, that, that kind of self-centered focus in this. Person in this phase, they might say something like this. Uh, they might say, I know what God says about difficult topics, things like sexuality, financial generosity, but I don't think that I'm ready to give these aspects of my life to God yet. All right, so while a child is oftentimes very excited and open to learning new things, there still is a lack of fully surrendering to God in every aspect of their life. So a person in this phase might say, look, I know what God says about sexuality. I know what God says about financial generosity. I know what God says about whatever the difficult topic is. I'm just not ready to give that up yet. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna give God my life in all of these other areas, but this one area I'm gonna keep to me. This is the one area I'm gonna hold back. I'm not gonna go all in for Jesus. I'm gonna go mostly in for Jesus, but I'm gonna keep a couple things behind my back. And I think that might be a good sign of spiritual childishness. A person in this phase might say this. They might say, I'm open to things like serving and things like life group, but I'm a pretty busy person. So I'll fit those things in if I happen to have time to fit them in. And so again, there's just a, there is a, um, the, the priorities of God aren't necessarily the priorities of this person. And, and so I'll fit, I'll fit those things in if and when it makes sense for me and my schedule and, and those type of things. Now, I would just say, if you're a person that would resonate with those statements, might be a good sign that you are in the stage of spiritual childishness, might be in this phase. And again, God loves you as you are. God loves you where you are. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he wants to leave you where you are. God wants us to grow spiritually. He wants us to mature. So what would be your point of focus? What would be your point of growth if you're in this phase? And I would say, and Colossians would say, that probably what you need to be moving into is, is to an area of full surrender. It's really at this point about, am I surrendering every aspect of my life to God? Is Jesus the Lord of my life? Is he? And, uh, and so in the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Colossian church, and he says this in chapter 3. He says, don't lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices, and then you've put on the new self, what's being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. See what the Apostle Paul says? He says, listen, as we grow in Christ, we need to be taking off our old self, our old practices, our old habits, and we need to be putting on our new self. And that, that means that we need to trans, that, that Jesus needs to transform every area of my life, my relationships, my finances, my sexuality, every area of my life fully surrendered to him. I'm going all in for Jesus. And so I would say, if you're a person that's looking to grow, if you're a spiritual child and you're looking to grow, the point really is this. I would ask God, God, are there any areas of my life right now that I am unwilling to be fully surrendered to you in? And then to take steps to surrender to God. Maybe for you, maybe it is. Maybe, it's, maybe it is things like serving. And so you, you may know what the Bible teaches about spiritual gifts. The Bible says that every believer in Jesus Christ has spiritual gifts and that God has given those to us to use for the sake of serving other people. And you might be a person where you're like, I know that the Bible says that, but I'm just sitting on my gift. I'm not using it to help people. I'm not using it to serve. I'm not prioritizing that. And if that's the case, that's an issue of surrender. Saying, God, I want to surrender this area of my life to you. Maybe for you, 
it's the area of biblical community. You're like, I know the Bible explains the importance of biblical community. There's over 60 one another commandments the Bible gives that are impossible to fulfill outside of biblical community. And for you, you might be like, ah, it's just not a priority to me. It's not on my radar. It's an issue of surrender. Say, man, this is a priority that God has for me. And so I need to allow him to be the Lord of my life in this area. Maybe for you, it's a sin issue. Uh, maybe, maybe for you right now, there's a habit or there's an addiction that is in the dark. No one knows about it. You're keeping it secret. You're keeping it hidden. It's not in the light. You're not seeking help. You're not seeking support. You're not fighting against it. You've just, you've just, uh, you've just kind of resigned yourself. to. Uh, that's, just, that's something I'm just going to keep in the dark. No one needs to know about it. God, we can talk about anything else, but we can't talk about that. And listen, I would just tell you that that is the growth point for you. And as long as you're unwilling to surrender in these areas, you're going to be forfeiting your own spiritual growth. Let me just speak to you from experience on this one to my own discredit. There have been far too many times in my life that I have held on to issues that I was unwilling to surrender to God, and it cost me. It cost me, it cost me spiritual growth. It cost me joy. It, it, it stifled me. I was stagnant. I, I felt that there was, a, there was a lack of vibrancy in my spiritual walk as a result of it. And, and let me just tell you, uh, as a testimony of God's grace, whenever I have submitted those areas to my life to God and say, God, I'm going to hand this over to you. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult, but I believe that you know better than I do. It has resulted in insurmountable growth, growth and joy and effectiveness and awesome things are a result of that. And I just want that for you. I think God wants that for you. And so for you, practical step would be this. Do some work with God. Ask God, are there areas in my life that I am not willing to submit to you, that I am not willing to surrender to you? And would you give me the faith to make bold decisions to take steps to surrender to you in those areas? So the Bible says that we grow. We grow from infancy to childhood. And then as we continue to grow, uh, we, we next grow into this, uh, the, the phase of adolescence. So adolescence, uh, as we would depict this, here's a description. In this season, Jesus is Lord. And uh, in, in we view that, and then inwardly, uh, we view themselves as servants. The person who is an adolescent views Jesus as Lord. Jesus is the king of my life. He's not just my savior and my teacher, but he is the commander and the director of my life. And I am his servant. A person that's in this phase wakes up, and they don't ask, what do I want to do today? This person wakes up and says, man, what does God want me to do today? God, I'm yours, all of my time, all of my talents, all of my treasure, all of my opportunities, every breath that I have has been given to me by you. And so I want to honor you and glorify you as a steward of the things that you've entrusted me with today. That is a spiritual adolescent. How do you know you're in this phase? Give you a few phrases from the stage. A person in this, uh, in this arena, in this stage, would say things like this. They might say, man, I've been working through the Bible, a uh, Bible reading plan, and I've, I, I'm just so excited. I have something I want to share with you that really blew me away. Uh, there is a passion and an enthusiasm that just kind of oozes out of this person. They love God, and they love the Bible, and they just love this. So they're like, man, I, just, I, was, reading, I was reading something earlier today. I got to share this with you. It's so awesome. I just want to tell you about what God has been teaching me. There's just an excitement about that. This person, you can also start seeing that there's a responsibility that they're beginning to take, not just for their own spiritual growth, but also for the spiritual growth of others. So this person might say something like this. Man, I just love being able to serve in student ministries or in power kids or in my community or whatever it might be. I just love serving. I think it's something that God has gifted me to do, and I love to see the lives of other people's changed. That's a statement that you probably hear from an adolescent. 
Here's something you might hear. They might say, man, I have three friends I've been talking to about Jesus, and I know our life group is getting too big for them, so we might need to start talking about multiplying our life groups so there's more room for them to come. I'm open and willing to lead if needed. Okay, that, that, that again, what you hear is there is a radical other-centeredness that's beginning to develop in this person. I'm, I'm, hel- I'm, I'm not just thinking about my own needs. I'm thinking about the needs of others. A person in this phase might say, man, look how many guests have been coming to church. That's awesome. I want to make sure that we leave the best and the most comfortable seats available for them, right? And again, what do you hear? It's not, it's not this, uh, man, I just, I need to make sure I secure for myself the most comfortable seats. Now I'm thinking about somebody else. How can we help accommodate other people? How can we help other people engage and understand the things of God? And we kind of see that. Here's the last one. A person in this phase might say something like this. Man, we should be praying for our family, for our neighbors. And we should pray on our way to church and a life group that God might help us encourage other people to make at least one other new, new, new person feel welcome. And so again, what you see here, this isn't passive involvement. This is active engagement. Uh, these are people who are saying, I'm not just renters of the things of God. I am an owner of my own spiritual life and of the spiritual lives of other people. It's an awesome sign of spiritual growth when a person moves into spiritual adolescence. Now, again, what we would say is that God loves us where we are. God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us where we are. So how do you, what is the next stage of growth for a person who is a spiritual adolescent? And of course, we would, we would say that it's a move towards spiritual leadership and disciple-making, right? It is a move towards spiritual parenting, towards spiritual leadership and into disciple-making. So for example, a practical next step for you, if you're in this phase, is maybe for you, it's time to start pursuing spiritual leadership in one way or another. Maybe it's within a life group. Maybe it's in your community. Maybe it's starting a Bible study at work. Maybe it's asking God, what are my gifts and abilities and how can I use those things to develop ministry that could help lead and serve other people? Maybe it's those type of things. It's disciple making. It is how can I start um, intentionally, relationally, and exponentially investing in other people for the sake of their spiritual growth. That's really where the focus is on. And as that happens, the person will begin to grow. So next, a next step for you if you're in this stage, very practical, I would encourage you to sign up for that disciple making class that's coming up. Uh, sign up for that and hear more about what does it mean? How, how can you make moves towards helping other people grow spiritually? I think that would be it. And as that happens, a person will then move into the kind of the final picture of spiritual maturity we see in the Bible, and that is uh, spiritual parenthood, spiritual parenthood. And again, spiritual parenthood, we talked about this at length last week. Spiritual parenthood, basically, in this season, Jesus is now viewed primarily as friend, and this person now views himself as a coworker with Jesus, all right, this actually, this termino- uh, terminology actually comes from John 15. In John chapter 15, it actually says, Jesus says, if you co-labor with me and if you do my will, then I no longer call you my servants, but I now call you my friends. Because you're co-laboring with God, you're doing the work that Jesus himself uh, would want to do as well. So this is spiritual parenting. And we said uh, last week, spiritual parenting is characterized really by radical others-centeredness. It is, I want to help other people grow spiritually. And we saw this in Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, Christ is the one that we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all of the energy that Christ so powerfully works within me. So the Apostle Paul says, I strenuously contend for what? For your maturity. I pour out my life for what? 
that other people might grow and know Jesus. That's what my life is centered around. So how do you know you're in this phase? Well, I'll give you a few phrases from the stage. Here's a few. A person in this phase would say, man, I think God's leading me to invest in a friend or a coworker or a neighbor to help them grow in maturity in their faith. I'm gonna reach out to them and see if they'd be willing to meet up once a week. All right, so there's an intentionality. There, there's a, there's a, um, an investment, a relational. I'm gonna help. I, I feel like God might be leading me to help invest in someone else's spiritual growth. They might say something like this. They might say, man, we're trying to free up our finances this year so that we can be more generous towards the things of God. Maybe I'll cancel our cable subscription so that we can give more. Some of you are like, dear God, no, right? And, uh, but again, it's, it's this idea of, of uh, not, um, I know the things that are a priority to God and I'll squeeze them in if I have time. It says, no, no, no. We are prioritizing it the other way. We're gonna put the things that matter to God in first, and then we're gonna schedule ourselves around that. Okay, that's what this picture is. The person in this uh, arena would say something like this. I'm very heavy hearted about something I saw on the news today. I need, to, I need to free up some time this week so I can spend more time in prayer for our community and our world. So this is a person that has the global concern of Jesus on their heart. Uh, they see the world, they see the community, they say, my, my heart bleeds for the things that Jesus' heart bleeds for. person in this category would say this, the most important discipleship relationship in my life is with my kids. What are some resources that maybe I could go through with them? They're trying to actively seek out how can I make spiritual investments in my children? Um, they would say something like this. Can you pray for me? This is a very specific one, by the way. It may or may not be a, a confession. Uh, can you pray for me? I'm going to the Browns game with my neighbors, and I really need to be conscious of the influence of my words and actions. I really get heated during those games and easily upset, and I say things that I might later regret. I want to be a good example for them, right? So it's, man, I, you know, I go to the Browns game, and I get real heated, and I get real into it, and I, and I want to be considerate because I'm trying to be again a good influence on other people. See, there's a, a radical other-centeredness that could be characterized in this arena. So, again, my hope is that as we look at all these things together, that there's two things that you would walk away with. Number one, let me just ask again, where are you? Just assess yourself. Where are you spiritually? If you had to, if you had to say, on this spectrum, I am somewhere, where would you put yourself? And the second thing I would ask is, what are the practical next steps that you can take to partner with God in your transformation and your spiritual growth? What is it for you? What is the sticking point? Okay, now as I finish, I'll end with one last thing and, and, and then we'll be done. But the last thing I wanna say is this, is that I think that this pathway is helpful and I think that looking at the book of Colossians in this way is very helpful, but I do think that this graphic has some problems. Uh, the graphic we looked at, so let me just name three problems that I think the graphic has. And then, uh, and then I'll end on that. So the first problem is this. The first problem with this graphic that we just looked at is that I know not everything works that neatly and cleanly. All right? So I just, I just think it's worth saying that. That when I, if I ask you, where are you at spiritually? You might say, well, I don't know. I kind of feel like I'm here, but then some days I feel like I'm over there and I always have doubts. So what about that? And then some days I feel like I'm doing really good over here. And I, I just don't, and listen, I don't want to pretend for a minute that anything works that neatly and cleanly. Life doesn't work that neatly and cleanly. However, the hope is that it's helpful. The hope is that it just helps you. Maybe diagnose yourself. Where am I spiritually? And what are the steps that I need to take? The second problem I have with this graphic is that it inadvertently communicates that you have to be a spiritually mature person before you can start investing in other people. And I think that's wrong, and I don't think that's biblical, all right? 
Uh, the commandment the Bible gives to make disciples is to all disciples. It's not just to the spiritually mature. And so I think that anyone in any stage needs to be looking at how can I help invest in the needs of other people. I, I think probably a better picture, if you can have it in your mind, is probably that of a family. Think about how a family operates. Like I told you, I have, uh, I have two little boys, a seven and a five-year-old, and then we have a little princess who's seven months. And, and it is true that my wife and I are constantly striving for the maturity and growth of our children, always. But uh, they also are helping each other all the time. So big brother is helping his little brother. Uh, little brother is helping out. All of us are helping out the baby. Everyone's helping out the baby, right? The princess, we all acquiesce to her needs. And that's probably going to happen for the rest of our lives anyway. Let's just be honest, right? But we're always trying to, and, and I think that that's probably a good picture of what the church ought to look like. It's a family, man. And we're all helping each other. And so big brothers are helping big sisters, and big sisters are helping little brothers, and, and we're helping each other, and everyone's, everyone's caring for the babies. And I feel like that that's, a, that's a, probably a better picture of what this looks like. And then the third thing I would say, and lastly, the last problem I have with this is that it does communicate inadvertently that spiritual maturity is a destination that we can arrive at in this lifetime. And I think it's real, I have to be real clear to say that that is not true. Um, the Apostle Paul says, he says, I, I strive towards Christ's likeness. I want to be and know Jesus. And then he says, not that I have obtained any of this. And I'm just telling you, if the Apostle Paul hasn't obtained spiritual maturity, you and I have not either, all right? We got a far way to go. And the Bible tells us that true spiritual maturity is Christ-likeness. And we're never going to fully achieve that on this side of um, of heaven. And so if you're a person that you look at this and you're like, I'm a spiritual parent, nailed it, got it. I'm glad, I'm glad all these other noobs in the room are hearing this message because I am just among the elite. I'm like, that's a bad sign. That's probably a sign that you're a lot more immature than you thought you were. And, um, and we're never going to fully reach this because it's, it's, it's something that we strive towards. It's like the Apostle Paul said, not that I've obtained this, but one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I strain for what's ahead to, to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of for me. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're, just, we're aiming at maturity. And, we're, and, and by God's grace, hopefully every day we look more and more like Jesus, understanding that in this life we're never fully going to get there. Uh, but by God's grace, we can take a step in that direction, all right? So, bottom line, God loves you as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are, and he wants us to grow spiritually, and so God wants us to mature, and we can partner with him in that transformation by taking practical next steps uh, towards that. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, I just want to say thank you for your word to us this morning. Thanks for the book of Colossians. It's a powerful book that you've entrusted to us, and it has within it some really, really important um, really, really important dimensions of spiritual growth that I think we need to understand. And so, Father, I pray as we go from this place, not only would you help us to identify where are we spiritually, but, God, that you would give us the tools that we need to, and the faith that we need to move forward and, uh, and to progress in growth. Reality is, God, we can't do this on our own. We can't muster up enough willpower to change ourselves. It has to be you inside of us working. Uh, but Father, you told us we can partner with you in the transforming work that you have in store for us. And so I pray, God, that as we go from this place, that you would encourage our hearts, that you would inspire us towards action, and God, that you would increase our love uh, for you. So thanks for each person in this room. I pray that as a result of today's conversation, 
that you would help all of us to grow and that we would be blessed as a result of it. We ask these things in Jesus' name.